Welcome back to another episode of Achieve Depth Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Craig Davies, and today we're in for a treat. I am joined by a good friend and colleague and one of the brightest minds in sports medicine, Dr. Ara Sapaya. Ara is probably one of the most the foremost experts in the field of sports performance and medicine when it comes to golf and tennis, but he also has a vast amount of experience working with athletes from all types of sports, from track and field to European football, also known as soccer, just all different sports. He is the man. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is how to adapt your training and recovery so that you find the right balance to make sense to allow you to achieve the best results for your time and energy you're putting into it. We're also going to look at how do we adapt our training uh, as we get a little older. Because even though uh, we're getting to our 30s, our 40s, 50s, and 60s, we're still athletes at heart. We are all athletes um, as we go about our day-to-day business. And how do we adapt the stresses we're putting on our body to allow us to maximize our results and maximize our performance? And then lastly, and really one of the most important aspects of our conversation is we look at how do we adapt our medical programming and our wellness programming to a personalized level? Uh, all too often these days, we are stuck being part of a car wash uh, type mentality where we're just pushed through the medical program and it's just not uh, a way to lead to success for the individual. So we're going to look at what we can do um, with your medical practitioners. Also, more importantly, what can you do at home to ensure that you're going to get the best out of your life and be the healthiest and best performing you that you can be. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Achieve Depth Radio. These are the leading experts in energy, nutrition, water, health and human performance, fitness and personal medicine. If you're looking to maximize your mental, physical, athletic and professional performance, these are the experts for you. Achieve Depth Radio, this is not what's now, this is what's next. Hey, this is Dr. Craig Davies, and we are live at Achieve Depth Radio. I am joined today by one of my good friends, colleagues on the PGA Tour, and just an amazing, amazing human, Dr. Ira Sapaya. Thanks for coming. How are you, bud? I'm doing amazing, bro. I'm doing amazing. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this this uh, it's a good setup here. I like it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's coming. It's coming. This uh, <laughs> the sound room is. It used to be a DJ booth that never really got used because it's back to your days in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe the intro music will have some old banging beats playing <laughs> in the back. That's what you need, yeah. <laughs> All right. But it's good, man. So, you know, obviously you're busy as usual. You've got uh, Ryder Cup coming up, which yeah. I know is, uh, has been a, a long venture for you, getting everybody organized and yeah. making sure they're ready to go. Yeah. I want to win. Yeah. I honestly, like, it's happened same in Medina. The same thing happened. And it's not, not Medina, Hazeltine. And that... Coming up to it that week before two weeks, I'm yeah. like, it is brutal, dude. I don't sleep. I'm stressed. <laughs> I just want to win so badly. Yeah. I'm like, no, we need to win. So, uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, <clears throat> for those who don't know, Ara wasn't born in the U.S., so you had a little bit of a different background growing up than than most people had here, or for myself, growing yeah. up in Canada. Yeah. Um, can Can you give us a bit of a a feel, being from Malaysia? Yeah. Right. Things obviously were different, especially back then. So when you were when you were growing up, mm. getting into schooling and then into um, you know you had a, a career as a high level tennis player when you're in your late teens and, and moving forward. So what was it like from a, a training, a health, and a wellness standpoint 
over there? And how would you describe some of the differences compared to Western medicine and Western society these days? Ah, uh, man, that's going back a long, long time. Yeah. So, I mean, think about it, right? I mean, people hearing this, they probably can't relate to this. There was no cell phones. Right, exactly. There was no internet. Yeah. There was, there was nothing really. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I grew up, most of my time was spent outdoors. Uh, my mom was, is, was, was a school teacher. Uh, she's retired now. My dad died when I was young. Uh, and I was influenced heavily by my mom's uh, brothers, my okay, uncles, yeah. uh, who were all athletes. They either played like field hockey or they were track and field people. And so I grew up surrounded by, you know, everything from watching Ali box to badminton yeah. to soccer to, uh, you know, we followed the Premier League. Uh, Malaysia used to be, well, it, colonized by the British. So now they are part of the you know the the Commonwealth. Right. So Premier League football is like a religion in Malaysia. Okay. So growing up, you know, I, I played soccer, played badminton, squash, ran. Like we were outdoors doing stuff all the time, and then um, I had a you know an injury playing. I got kicked in the face, basically. And oh, good. Yeah, good. and my mom was like, okay, you're not playing soccer anymore. I was playing goal. <laughs> and so so then uh, I did some track. I found I didn't like track. Yeah. Uh, I was naturally had a lot of endurance, a lot of speed, but I just didn't... I, the concept of just running around the track over and over again, just, yeah. I, I didn't get to me. And then right next to it was a, was a tennis court. So I'd go there and I'd watch people play, and then lo and behold, you know, the guy who was coaching there was a gentleman by the name of Charlie, who, you know, coached me, and I went on to be pretty good. Yeah. You know, won a lot of junior tournaments, uh, played at a, at, a, at a high level. But a lot of things were just done. You know, it's not, it, it's interesting now, you know, I look at kids age uh, 10 to 12 to 15 is when I started playing t tennis. It's very different. The, the coaching is different. We, you know, I, I, in fact, I, I played, and then I went to medical school, and during that time, I didn't play tennis. Right. And it was, uh, it's, it's interesting. I Then I started playing again, but I wasn't as good. Yeah. And so I hated it. Yeah, so okay. I, I took a break from tennis probably for 15, 20 years. And it didn't hit a ball. Oh, didn't is that right? Yeah. I did not know that. And then now that I, you know, I started playing again, and I'm really into the sport. I work with a lot of the tennis players now. I'm, uh, you know, when I, when I watch how the juniors are coached, you know, I have these conversations with the coaches and I go, Wait, we we never played like this. Yeah. And and the game has changed significantly. Technology is different, rackets are different, but also I think children are learning in a very different way because they have access to computers and uh, the internet as a source of information. I think there's a lot more linear it's more linear mm -hmm. whereas when you know my, the way I played was you get the ball, you serve, or you return serve. Yeah, a lot and, more experimentation. And, and then the ball, you just start. Yeah. You know, that was never, you didn't really craft a point as such. It's kind of more intuitive. You know, you kind of hit it here, and you know, like, oh, this guy's doing this, and you'll hit to the open space, and you'll create this shot. It's still done the same way, but it's much more predictable. So right. if you look at the tennis players now, the way they play is, you know, they, they'll say, you know, hit the serve and find your forehand. Hit the serve, hit every ball cross court. Mm. It's 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 decided before you play it, and that was never the way I played. Yeah, no. You know, you would just hit the ball and just react to whatever came. So, 
it's changed and you know i've played in very hot conditions uh, are you trying to tell me malaysia was hot yeah kind of <laughs> I've been to Malaysia twice. It's besides Trinidad is the hottest place <laughs> no, I've dude. ever been in my life. Listen, Trinidad ain't got nothing on it. Yeah. It is it's not just hot, it's humid. Oh yeah. And it's so funny, Craig. I, I go back now. I try to go back every uh once a year or every every two years. And um I cannot believe I played tennis in that weather. <laughs> I, I mean, can't believe I mean I literally tennis. would finish school at one thirty and hit the tennis courts at two. Two, two o'clock in the afternoon, we'll play tennis all the way till about five o'clock. Running for everything, did not stop, like just drank water and just carried on, you know, in that heat. Yeah. It's it's very different now. Very different. Oh, yeah. I think it made you just much more, just, you didn't have options. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest difference. Back then, yeah. we just did not have an option. You had one racket. Yeah. You know, when you got sponsored, you had two rackets. You yeah, know, right, exactly. You had to try to make sure that, you know, you would, I remember changing a backhand stroke because I was dragging my feet and the shoes would wear out. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, and the point was like, my mom was not going to buy me more shoes, so I had to change the way I hit my backhand. That <laughs> would not happen these days. No. You know? It's just very different. Yeah, no, I, I think overall, especially, you know, I have two young girls, both are in dance and, and some other sports, but I think the resiliency yeah of some of the young athletes today aren't isn't quite what it was before even when i was playing yeah uh very similar you know you had to make do with what you had yeah um we didn't have everyone measuring our throwing speeds or our running speeds at the age of eight and making decisions based on those measurements as to who was going to be successful and not yes and a lot of the kids who i went and played hockey with because i played at a relatively high level the ones who were pretty good yeah. at age eight ended yeah. up being exceptional by the time they were 16, 18. And the ones who were exceptional at age eight, that didn't necessarily mean they were going to be exceptional at 18. Correct. But today, they're starting to make decisions on the potential of an athlete at such a young age. I, I feel like, one, it gets rid of the enjoyment of the sport. And also, uh, we start pigeoning children into positions and expectations of their sport and i don't think one it's necessarily fair for that athlete but two i just don't think it's healthy no and i I don't necessarily think it's transferable you know yeah um i I love a story there's a story i never told you this uh it's a folklore uh there's a story about you know this guy who was a aeronautical scientist and he came up and he, he wrote a theory and said look based on the theories of aeronautical sciences the bumblebee cannot fly hmm. the shape is different the drag is different the wingspan to width ratio is different but no one told the bumblebee that right so it flies so i figured it out yeah yeah you know so i yeah. I, I do believe that is you know uh, i'm all for studying numbers and uh, and looking at data uh i do think that that makes things a lot more predictable yeah but i don't think that it is the best predictor of outcome. Yeah. Because there is something called the ability to endure. Absolutely. There is something called will. And we haven't, and I hope we never do, have the ability to measure that. Right. You Absolutely. Know, that's something that you see. You know, someone like yeah. Nadal, for instance, you can measure his ball speed. You can measure how quickly he steps on one foot. You can do all that stuff. His heart, you cannot measure Yeah. That. 
But when you see him play, you know he's got a huge heart. That so, makes complete sense. So, yeah. you know, and that can be cultivated, you know. Mm -hmm. I've seen kids who didn't have a heart and then something changes in them. And then all of a sudden, they they are willing to go out there and take a beating. So, it's a lot to be said for that, you know. Just go out there and try it. Well, I think, you know, for a lot of people, they have to find a reason to be willing to accept, like you said, a beating or yeah. to grind, right? Yeah. You know, I think if you look at some of the guys that I've worked with, um, let's take two guys who ended up being the top ball striker on different years on the PJ Tour as a whole. So the entire year went by, and at the end of the year, these two were considered or measured as being the best ball mm. strikers on tour that year. One of them was Hunter Mayhem. Hunter Mayhem, yeah. And one of them, Graham Dillette. Yep. And then you know, we have other guys who have done that too, but these specific two players. Hunter was a ball striking genius in essence since he was a junior. Like he hit the ball and everyone I've talked to who played against him as a junior said he just didn't miss fairways or greens. He was just exceptional from a young age. Yeah. And, you know, went in, played college golf, was exceptional college golf, came out on tour, was exceptional. So he's had a, a career that if you measured him at that young age, that would give evidence to say, hey, measuring at a young age shows later success if you looked at him. Correct. But then you look at Graham Dillette, he only got one scholarship offer to university. He took that scholarship offer. And when I talked to him, he said he didn't realize he had a chance of having a, a golf career to, until the end of his collegiate career. Mm -hmm. uh, he might even say it was his fourth year where he, before he thought, hey, this is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up being the top ball striker on the PGA Tour yep. you know, so many years later. So if you measured him at a young age, um, specifically for golf, he wouldn't have been necessarily on the radar of expectations of being a great player. And for a while, he was the top uh, golfer out of Canada and had a great career. And, and once he gets back from this injury, he'll continue to have a great career on the PGA Tour. And But if you look at their childhood, and if you just measured them during childhood and determined who was going to play what, one of them would have probably played on tour and one of them wouldn't. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's a saying, uh, I think this, Anthony Robbins, I think, said this. And he said, you know, people often overestimate what they can achieve in three months and underestimate what beautiful. they can do in three years. That's beautiful. You know, and Justin Rose, who just became number one, I was on the phone to him uh, very shortly after he, he lost in that playoff, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he clearly became number one. And I was like, you know, I was going to text him, Craig. Yep. And I was like, yeah, this is not a text. Call this guy. Like, yeah. you've, worked, you've known this guy for 10 years, you know. Yeah, a long time. So I called him, not expecting him to pick up. But he picked up and uh, we chatted for a while. And, you know, he said something that just summed it up for me. He says, take me 20 years to mm. get to number one. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just amazing. a constant grind. Some people get there sooner mm -hmm. you know they have certain gifts some people can get there and stay there forever some people just take longer to get there yeah so that part of the human we have not measured and i hope sincerely hope we never measure that because that's what makes humanity such a beautiful subject i agree and makes sports exciting because yeah. that's what if we just if, if sport was just determined based on measurements, yeah, you'd be able to determine who's going to win every game every time, and you can't. You cannot do right. It. There's so many variables, and you know Rosie is a great example. So, you know he went out as an amateur and placed very high in his first Open Championship. Yeah, and then I can't remember how many it was, but I think he missed his first twenty-ish 
cuts yeah. in a row. Consist- and cons- for a lot yeah. of people, that's devastating. It's devastating for him. Yeah. He still lives through that nightmare. He misses two cuts in a row, and that scar tissue is right there. Right. But he's learned to deal with it, you know? That that pain doesn't go away. It it you just learn to mold it yeah. so it doesn't control you as much. Yeah. You know. Well, what's what's amazing actually, talking about cuts, if, if I'm not mistaken, again, so he missed the cut at the first playoff event. Yeah. I think it was the first one, first or second. First one one of those. Anyway, yeah. First or second. Yeah. And that was his first missed cut in a year, huh. and then he came the number one and almost won the next tournament or the two tournaments later. Yeah. See, which yeah. is amazing, right? You have a guy who just wasn't able to make the weekend. Yep. And then through resiliency, through having that drive, went home, said, you know what, I'm not going to do this again, came out and pretty much took it to a playoff and almost won the event, which is incredible. Yeah, and I think golf is unique like that. If you see tennis, for instance, right? You look at track and field, you look at tennis, you look at soccer, yeah, uh, NFL, you know. Those players who get to that legendary status, they dominate for a long while. Yes. You know, and they, they, their domination is measured a large extent by winning. Mm-hmm. You know, so Usain Bolt won many, many, many times. Right, yeah. Right? Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, uh, they dominated the sport. Like, if you look, go back and look at McEnroe and Lendl, they dominated the sport. They won a ton. Beyond Bob yeah. won a ton. Okay? Ali won a ton. Golf is interesting. They don't necessarily have to win. It's more consistently. Like, you've got to play consistently throughout the year. Right. You know? And and you can dominate the sport like that. But at any given time, the greatest player in golf may not win. Absolutely. It, anybody there can just yeah. have a day and just break out and just, just win. You know? Yeah. What the greatest players in golf do is they are very predictable in their success. Their consistency level is so high. So their average is so much higher than the other person's average. Yeah. So when they have an average day, they're still going to beat majority of the field. Not necessarily convert to a win, though. You know what? You just um, you brought up a good point there where you talked about sort of the legends in their sport, mm. right? The people who were legendary in their sport, as you said, won at every level consistently once they learned how to win. So. Yeah. They may not have won, um, like Muhammad Ali may or may not have won every fight at the age of 10 or 12 that he had in the schoolyard. Maybe he did. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I know some fighters that did not win, like yeah. Georges St. Pierre as an example. When he was in uh, grade school and in early high school, he was bullied, and he was not the guy going out and winning fights and doing everything else. Yeah. But that's what drove him to become great, potentially the greatest mixed martial artist ever. Right. But what I think is interesting about golf, when you talk about it, I look at players who are amazing at a young age, who Mm -hmm. win the U.S. Amateur, for example, Mm -hmm. who do these wonderful um, accomplishments, including players that I've worked with in the past. You know, if you look at guys like Danny Lee, um, you look at uh, Ben On, who I work with now, uh, and the list goes on and on. The problem with a lot of the players now is that they turn professional at such a young age, mm-hmm. one, because financially, obviously, you can make a lot more money mm-hmm. turn professionally than, than not. And, you know, Sung Yul Know is another example who was an unbelievable golfer, won his first tour, maybe in Malaysia, actually, at age 18, 
on the European tour. Oh, did he win that? I think he, that was his oh. first win. But, you know, so these are guys who turn pro at the age of 18, amazing players, top players in the world at that age, mm-hmm. but never continued to play amateur golf, never played collegiate golf, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden played against the best players in the world and never learned how to win. Yeah. Whereas you have players like Jordan, um, Ricky, all these other players who are consistently kind of placing in the top. Tiger. Tiger. They Tiger. went to college, learned yeah. to win. Tiger said that. Tiger said, you know, you want to learn to dominate junior golf. Right. Then go learn to dominate college golf. And then learn to dominate yeah. the pro tour. You know? But we don't let kids do that anymore. Yeah, you try to push them forward, push them forward. So fast. So many of my friends so are trying to push their kids to an older age group because they're too good for their age group they're in. Yeah. And you know what I end up seeing? One, if it's a physical sport, the kid gets hurt. Yeah. Because let's be honest. They're the, not ready. No. They're the difference ready. between 10 and 12 oh my goodness. is massive. It's, it's so big. And, and physically they're not. Mentally is a big difference. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when you go from being a dominant player to being a third line or fourth line player mm-hmm. because the other players are, are just as good as you at that age, mm-hmm. that's not great for building up your skill set, your confidence, and just your desire to be better unless you're one of those exceptionally rare people who Correct. absolutely refuses Correct. to be beat down yeah. and then you just take your beating for a year or two years and finally figure out how to move on. But that is not normal and I think a lot of people's careers, specifically in golf but in all sports, are somewhat destroyed by parents trying to push their kids and coaches as well, pushing these young kids too far at a young age into um, expectations that they have as opposed to what the kids have. And I think that's something that needs to change. I don't see it happening anytime soon, unfortunately. No, we live at a time where, you know, I remember sitting in a, in a lecture, and uh, uh, a CME lecture, uh, and this uh, emergency, pediatric emergency physician who's been around for a long time, came to give us a lecture, you know. And he said, I just want to put you in a scenario, okay? You pull up to the McDonald's drive through You get to the window, and you put your window down, and nothing happens. And you wait 10 seconds, nothing happens. And then you go, hello? Nothing happens. So... 25 seconds. 30 seconds later, someone goes, Hi, may I take your order? And you are now pissed. Right. Right? It's 30 seconds yeah. to get fast food. Okay? Amazing, yeah. So, and he said, oh, no, put yourself as a parent with a child who is ill, and you don't really know what's going on with the child, and they have to wait 25 minutes after they brought to a room to see the doctor. And you go in there, and they're not happy, and, and, and they take it out on you. So you go, you got to understand that we live in a world where everything is faster. Yeah. There's instant gratitude. So if I measure this, buy this, and do this, this should happen. Right. Right? We live in that culture right now. And there is a lot of good things about that culture. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cut off time, wasted time, like just so much better. Yeah. Right? But the, it comes at a price. So the concept of saying, you know, you know, I, I'll tell you, like, I, when I learn something new, like every year I learn a new skill set, mm-hmm. or either be movement or, you know, educationally. I, I try to do something yeah. both. So, for instance, last year I really immersed myself in yoga, yeah. okay? I went probably 20 days 
of the month for a whole year okay and I remember my first class going there and I saw some people there and I, I couldn't get into any of the postures yeah, or whatever yeah. and in the past I would have been like no I need to go practice this I need to get better and blah 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 the older me has kind of said you know what I know you can't do it today but where if you do this every single day where will you be six months from mm -hmm. now and where will you be six years from now six years from now you're going to be able to do that you know yeah and that that philosophy I think it's coming back, but that needs to be instilled in a lot of sports again. You yeah. know, there is time. You don't have to rush this. There's yeah. plenty of time. That, you know, that, so that's perfect. That's a, a perfect segue into our next topic. Mm. See, I did that for you. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, like I knew it. where you are going. Injuries, headaches, back problems. We all experience physical pain in our lives. And the majority of that pain is caused by one thing, inflammation. At Luminos, we've created a safe, all-natural pain relief patch that directly targets pain instantly with no side effects. Just apply the Luminos patch directly to an area of pain. The relief can be felt in minutes and it will last all day. Go to Luminos.com right now and start living without pain today. Okay, so Dr. R, just as you mentioned, yeah. you know, one of the things that people are missing out on is the ability to appreciate the importance of allowing things the time to develop because we're so instant gratification as opposed mm. to delayed gratification and you know one of the biggest areas that i see this in is in individuals health and performance specifically if we look at how people approach being healthy these days mm -hmm. everything is dictated or not everything but a lot of it is dictated to being as good as possible as fast as possible mm -hmm. you know 20 minutes to better abs nothing wrong with crossfit i think it has a, a great place but I don't think necessarily everyone who does it should be doing it because they don't have an understanding of the cost to benefit ratio from a short-term versus long-term goals. You know, uh, my wife does another program where she's in a group setting, but they're recording all their data and everything else. And it's how can it be better tomorrow, the next day, the next week. But then when I see a lot of these uh, athletes, because we're all athletes, over short periods of time, I have a lot of friends who've done some of these kind of programs who almost wear their surgical scars as badges of honor. But the problem is, you know, these people are in their 20s and 30s right now. What is going to happen to these people at 40, 50, 60, 70, 80? Because we are sh so short-sighted with not only our education, our child's performance in sports, but our health. Mm -hmm. It's so hard for us to look into the future because we're not there. But I know for me, I have a, quite a few injuries from when I played sports. And so... Unfortunately, my sporting career ended very early, right? That's sad. It is sad. Mm. And, you know, I could, I could still play stuff now, but... Dude, it, you're a beast. It would affect certain <laughs> things. <laughs> but, you know, like, so I can recognize, because I've had 20 years be between when I was playing sports at a super high level, mm -hmm. and I continued to train at a high level, what I would consider a high level for a while, and now I can see some of the repercussions of that, mm. right? Some of the damage I was doing to myself not allowing myself to recover appropriately, which mm -hmm. is what happens in young sports still today. Mm -hmm. The recovery is really missed. And my training was so focused on how do I look, how do I perform today, and every single day had to be better mm -hmm. than the day before, which really, realistically is not appropriate or uh, likely mm -hmm. um, or sustainable for a long period. And now my goal 
is I want to make sure when my children have children that I can get on the floor and squat and play with those kids and be able to walk and function and hike and do everything I want to do for as long as I can, as late in life as possible. I want to be able to go hike mountains and do all these things when I'm a grandparent Mm -hmm. and not be one of the people that you see getting pushed around Disney World in a scooter or a motorized scooter because they can't get out of the chair. And it's because it's too hot. It's too hot. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, you know, all of a sudden. No, I, I hear you, bro. You know, I hear you. So I, I see 250, 350 patients, 250 to 350 patients a month in the ER. And I, I will tell you, I see this all the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a travesty. Uh, you know, it's sad. Like, you know, we, we, we're so progressive in one sense. You know, we could put a probe to Mars and, right. and and have cars that run on nothing. And then here we are, you know, dealing with basic health issues in a so-called modernized world. And it's it's kind of staggering, really. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I actually feel what you're saying. It is true. When you're younger you recover faster. So the duration of recovery, the time needed to be spent in recovery is almost automated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you sleep, you recover, right? As you get older, due to hormonal changes, due to changes in at cellular level, because, I mean, think about it, right? We were never meant to live the ages we are living right now. No. You know, if you look at cellular program death, apoptosis, if you really want the word for it, right? We, we were designed to die. Right. We were all designed to die. But we live at a time where, I mean, there's a guy who recently published a book called Ageless. I, I don't want to be ageless. No. I have no desire to be ageless. And knowing that I am mortal, knowing that I'm going to die, makes me have urgency in my life. And it heightens the experience. Correct. Yeah. You know, if you take the time. Yep. to experience it, right? So coming back to this thing, yes, there's a lot of instant gratification. And I think, you know, if you're learning a skill, okay, so let's say you're playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. You want to try to be better at the guitar today than yesterday. So I I, I do see that, yep. right? But in a physical strength, power, endurance, agility, agility thing, that is not a realistic goal. And I'll tell you why. Due to a very fundamental truth. No two humans are the same, right? Mm-hmm. We, we know that. Yeah. Okay? But the same human doesn't show up the same, identically same, every single day. Correct. So, I'm different today. My energy level, my mood, my... Everything's just a little bit different today than it was yesterday. Right. I am not identical to yesterday. My physiology adapts. Yeah. Okay, and it may be due to what I ate yesterday, you know, the air, because there are so many variables that the physiology adapts, and so you never show up the same every day. Mm-hmm. So to expect athletic performance, right? So I consider athletic performance as speed, endurance, agility, power, strength, and vision. Yeah. Okay, to expect that to be better every day makes no sense to makes me. No sense. Now. I think there's a purpose in going there and, and the competitive nature of humans uh, I cherish. Yeah. Uh, and I like, you know, to go somewhere and say, you know what? Yeah, yesterday I did this, today I want to try to do this. But you really need to pay attention to yourself. If you don't feel as energized as you did yesterday, then 
what are you going doing that for? Because you're burning yourself to death. Yeah. And over a period of 10 years, if you do this, you won't get to 10 years because it's very, very harsh. So a lot of the things that I see, uh, two prongs. One is, like you said, instant gratification. So, you know, five minutes to fabulous abs. Right. You know, 15 minutes interval training and you don't have to do anything else. That really wasn't the purpose. It's It's designed to allow us to get some kind of exercise in because we are busy doing everything else. So that's kind of where it comes from. But in terms of health, if you want to look at long-term health, then just focus on movement. Absolutely. Okay? Basic, fundamental movements. Can you put your arms over your head? Yeah. Can you bend down and pick something off the ground? Can you do a squat? Can you lay yeah. flat and get up without any assistance? Face down, face up. Can you roll from one side to the other side? You know, it doesn't sound a lot, but that's what you lose as you get older. older. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk about battle scars and, you know, worn as badge of honor. I, I see a, a, a whole movement towards the 5 a.m. club. Right. Yeah. Which I, I have two things to say about that which I feel very strongly about, if you talk about the 5 a.m. club, you need to talk about the 9 p.m. club. Yeah. The 5 a.m. club cannot exist long-term with a 1 a.m. club. Right. So if you're going to bed at 12, 1, 1 o'clock in the morning, and you are forcing yourself to get up at 5 a.m. to work out, let me tell you, you are pouring gasoline on a slow-burning fire caused, called chronic inflammation chronic inflammation it is part and parcel of life it is the normal aging process whether we like it or not despite all that we know we cannot reverse aging you can slow it down Craig but you cannot reverse it because of this universal thing called chronic inflammation and when you don't sleep as you get older and then you add to that getting up at 5 a.m. and doing a you know, 30, 40 minute hit class or CrossFit class, and you add that week to day, week to day, week to day, it is going to set you on fire. Wait, I'm starting to think my job is not sustainable now that you're talking about this. Your job is not sustainable. I'm telling you. you. But in fairness, you do get a nap. I've seen you nap. Yeah. Right? And many times when I've stayed with you guys, you guys shut it down pretty early too. Yeah. Unless Foley's in town. Yeah. John Foley's, he's a bad influence. Don't yeah. listen to that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so generally, so the 5 a.m. club, um, you need to talk about the 9 a.m. club. And also, listen, there's something called chronobiology. Okay? The ancient tribes have known this forever. Forever. You go back mm-hmm. and look at the, the Native Indians, the Inca tribes, the, you know, the Ayurvedic specialties, the Chinese medicine... They talk about chronobiology, meaning there is a, you know, we know about the circadian rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Which is classically described as, you know, wake up with the sun, go to bed with the moon. But within that rhythm, within that circadian is change. There, there are things, you know, this is the best time to exercise. This is the best time to have sex. This is the best time to study. This is the best time to do stuff. Your body's hormonal cycles yeah. dictate when it's best to do all those things, right? Sleep is the same. So there are people who get up at 5 a.m., wide awake, feel great, go on and on and on. And then they, by 3 o'clock, they're like, I, I'm done. 
3 p.m. Yeah. they're done. Okay. And then there are people who get up in the morning. They're like, ah, you know, I'm okay. Then they get better, and then they last through the day, and then they go. And when the sun sets, then they go, okay, I'm tired. I need to go to bed. Okay. And then there are people who who get up in the morning like they cannot go in. And then when the sun starts dimming, seven, eight o'clock, they're like, yes. Yeah. We see this all the time. Okay. And now there is a gene that matches that, the PER gene that tells you what type of chronobiology is. Yes, as a rule, most people wake up with the sun and go to bed when the sun sets, yeah. right? But there is a group of people that don't that rule doesn't apply to. So having this 5 a.m. club as a badge of honor for everybody is going to make you very sick yeah. long term. And I'm telling you, if you are not the right chronobiology and you do this, your risk of diabetes heart disease, cancer goes up significantly because 2002, the World Health Organization put sleep deprivation in the same category as cigarette smoking as a risk for cancer. Mm. So don't mess with this. Just, you know, especially yeah. now. We measure everything. Yeah, yeah. Just find out what your chronobiology type is yeah. and well, figure out, you know, whether you're a, things a dolphin, lion, bear or wolf. Well, you'd want the person who's struggling to get up in the morning, but wide awake when the sun goes down. I want them watching the tribe at Correct. nighttime, right? Correct. I don't so, want someone who wants to get up at 5 a.m. Exactly. So when, when, they, when, you, when I ask the question, I was like, why would that exist? Well, that exists for all those things. And, and similarly, there are certain part, people in the tribe who have a very distinct taste, very distinct smell. Some people can run faster. That's why we're all not same, yeah. but we work together as a tribe. Right. And that's why even now, all the studies that looked at healthy aging will tell you when you leave the tribe, isolation is one of the worst things you can do for your health. Being yeah. part of a tribe is very, very important. You're sounding very socialist right now, Ara. Come on, man. <laughs> what do you mean? We should be living as a community I'm and helping each you. other? Yeah, just get out of the HOAs, though. No HOAs. <laughs> just let me do my thing. Let me paint my house fluorescent yellow. Uh, that's great. Yeah, so you brought up some great points there. Now, to go from that, let's, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. When you were playing tennis, mm. human conditions... Super hot, super humid. Boiling, dude. Now, you did not have access at that, in my, I don't think, anyway, mm. at that time to the supplements, to the different mechanisms of recovery that we have now. Mm -mm. Now, let's just say, because we live in Florida, mm -hmm. and it's pretty hot, pretty humid a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. We have guys playing football outside right now, and it's unbelievable. I can't believe these guys are fully padded going through practices at yeah. 3 o'clock. So we have football players, soccer players. We have all the different sports. We have our golfers who are, for whatever reason, playing a sport outside all day in the hottest temperatures. Mm -hmm. And if we compare that to, you know, your own personal experience, you know what it was like to grind, to play mm -hmm. high level in those conditions. If you could go back, talk to yourself, which would be the same as talking to your athletes now, mm -hmm. what were some of the keys that you would say, here's what you need to pay attention to. Here are some of the things that you can do to adapt to... Um, the excessive salt loss or whatever it is through the sweating. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be playing a lot of tennis, um, football, golf, doesn't matter, for consistent days, what are some of the things that you would use on yourself or with your athletes now to help them recover more? Okay, so great question. You know, when we, like I told you, we just 
hit the tennis ball, three four hours, drank water, went back, had dinner, and went to bed. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I bet your dinner was a lot healthier than it is yeah, these days. Yeah. So literally, my mom grew most of the vegetables in yeah. the backyard. So think about the energy density of that. So we don't yes, have that. Now. We don't have that right now. So. Yeah couple of things, you know, first and foremost, I would say I would, uh, if I could go back and do a few things, I would have got my sweat analyzed to see how much salt I actually lost. Yeah. And, you know, because one of the worst things you can do, believe it or not, is just to hydrate with water with yeah. no electrolytes. Okay. Yeah. And similarly, if you don't need electrolytes, putting a bunch of electrolytes means your body has to get rid of it, which means you're using energy. Right. To yeah. do it. Okay, instead yeah. of using energy for something else. So I get a sweat study done to really, really figure out what I need to drink. Okay. Secondly, it used to be a badge of honor. I used to love people saying, man, that guy's like a horse. He never stops. Look at him. He went from 3 to 2 o'clock in that heat till 6 p.m. I wouldn't do that now. Yeah. I would say, you know what? Do an hour. Go indoors. Cool down. Think about what you did. Maybe strategize a little bit. Come back, do 30 minutes, and do smaller chunks yeah. rather than a long period. And let the body cool down because um, the benefits of going beyond a certain point is not there. And you, you actually tire the body. Like at the end of the day, heat exhaustion is a real thing. You mm -hmm. release heat shock proteins and, and it, is, it is harmful. Okay, And as, as part of that, you know, when you say you, know, you have four hours to practice, it, the practice is not as efficient as it can be. Well, if you say you have two hours to practice and you make it more efficient yeah. and time well spent, I think that'll be much better. So, you know, I know players who spend, you know, two, three hours in the, in the, in the range, hitting balls, picking the phone up, chatting, chatting, blah, 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 blah. I think it's better to go there 30 minutes, really focus. You know who does that really well? Roger Federer. Is that right? Unbelievable. I mean, you see his practices. So you take Nadal. Nadal would, you know, in a, in a major would spend... 90 minutes to two hours hitting balls, bludgeoning balls. Before he plays? Yeah. Just, at, no, this, is, this is on his practice day, on practice a day, day off, okay, on a major, yeah. right? And then you see Fed come in, much more relaxed, hits for 30, 40 minutes, and done. Shut it down. You know, very different styles. Yeah. Uh, but Boy, do you, I wish our golfers would do that. Yeah, so, but, you know, again, uh. it's based on the strategy, right? So someone who can just say, you know, I want to do this, I'm going to work on this, and really be present, switch everything off. You don't need to do that. And to be honest, you can't really be present and focus intently no. for three, four hours. It's very different in sports. Yeah. You know, you could do it maybe studying. Well, even think about it, when you wrote exams. Yeah, in, yeah. You write a exactly. two-hour exam, in, yeah. I'm fried after that. Correct. Mentally, you're exhausted, yeah. right? And if you add that level of exhaustion, four or five days, your performance will drop. Right. Okay, so one thing is, I would reduce the actual time in the heat into smaller chunks and actually get off the heat as quickly as I can. And then as part of that, I would force myself to become more efficient in what I do. Mm -hmm. So skill set, movement, all of that. So the better I can hit a ball, the more efficiently I can hit a ball and focus on that, the less energy I will spend. Yeah. So it's all about energy maintenance, right? And then finally, things like ice baths at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, Normatex for compression devices. Yeah. Okay. Those two things, if I had it back then, I would have definitely done those because they are like 
magic yeah, when it comes absolutely. to recovery. You know, absolutely unbelievable. And that kind of stuff, I actually like seeing younger kids do now, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. You know, that's again, that's the, that's the beauty of having technology. Right. You know, uh, we didn't have physios massaging yeah. our legs and stuff. Now you can slap on a Normatec, you know, put yeah, some at home. Yeah, put some Tiger Balm, put a Normatec, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and then get get an ice ice bath. So things like that, I think, are things I would do religiously right now. Yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Perfect sense. So that brings us to part two of this, right? Is we're talking you performing as a as a elite younger athlete, mm-hmm. and now as I like you're a little bit older, right? Yeah. You've matured a little bit. A lot older, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what what are the things that we need to do? We we kind of touched on a little bit before because we mentioned that uh, the recovery aspect of a young athlete is almost you know, overnight as they sleep. It's automatic. Right. But now you get a little bit older and you you realize that we have a lot of factors uh, in our life that aren't the same as they were Correct. when we were younger. The food's not as good. Mm-hmm. Water's not as good. Mm-hmm. We have more stress. We're probably not sleeping as much. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things that you think are the most important for us to key in on? So two things, are, well, personal experience, right? So now that I'm starting to play tennis on a regular basis, I noticed a few things. So I was always hyper mobile. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm just mobile. Right. So I've become stiffer as I've aged. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you have to address that. So it's very, very important as you get older to maintain performance, to maintain range of movements and good quality tissue. Yeah. Right. So that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. So it was a cool study was done on why that happens and they were looking uh this was on rats mm. <clears throat> and they found that the connective tissue it mm-hmm. wasn't the muscle tissue it was the mm-hmm. connective tissue itself um had built up uh i think with glycosaminoglycans and different things uh gags in the connective tissue and you know we see that similarly when you when people stop moving mm-hmm. this builds up more so mm-hmm. that's one thing so like you said earlier the more you move the more you move, the better you are. The second part is because those have uh, glucose um, side chain or branch chains or main chains, mm-hmm. they're showing that people who ingested or these rats specifically ingested higher amounts of sugar in their diet, mm-hmm. the less mobile they became mm-hmm. um, because they had. It doesn't surprise me. So uh, I think you know that's something to think about is. For those who are out there, when we're talking about how do we keep our mobility as we get older, one, obviously, keep moving. That is the biggest Fundamental, thing. Fundamental, yes. Because I think, my opinion, is exercise is a supplement. Like, structured exercise. Going to the gym yeah, is a yeah, supplement. Yeah, yeah, That's why I don't call it exercise. I yeah. said move. Yeah. You know, uh, your goal is to keep moving. Move all day, every day. Yeah. And then watch, you know, that's the problem. I get so frustrated. And I hope someone from the dance academy that my kids go to, I'm not going to nail it, but I hope they listen because they're an amazing academy. But, like every dance camp we've ever been to, they give them lollipops and sugar yeah, and stuff yeah. right and both, after they perform. Yes, what are we doing? Yeah. We just did all you this did all this great work and, and then you bought it. Yeah. Boom, here's yeah. some sugar. I know. No. I know. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to um, interrupt. So, I think keeping movement is very, very important. You And, and you take that, for, you don't take it for granted. You're just gifted with that. You don't really know you're going to lose it. Yeah. But you got to pay attention, you know. As you get older, you lose range of movement. You get stiffness, and yeah. and that's part and parcel of aging. So, in order to still perform, 
uh, at an elite level, you want to keep your range of movement going, right? Number one. Number two, the concept of recovery. Uh, so training is when you rip stuff apart. Yeah. So you don't, you don't actually build anything when you're training. That's something that people don't get. That, right. So training is not when you build stuff. It's recovery. The post-training effect on the body, it's a bit like trees, okay? If you want a tree, my mom used to do this. She would just get us to get, get the, 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 the knives and whatever and chop down all these branches. And then two months later, the mango tree will be full of mangoes. Mm. Okay? Same thing. When you train, you rip stuff apart. But then you let the body repair that. Right. And as part of that, and the body thinks, the innate genius in the body goes, wait, what was, what was the size before isn't enough now because we just hit with a harder yeah, yeah. load. And so you repair it in a way to adapt to the new load. Mm. So then you fully recover and then you increase the load. You go through the process again. So training is not when, when you build size or no. anything. It's the recovery. So if you train, but you don't recover, you don't get the benefits of training. And guess what happens? That's when you get hurt. Yeah, uh, that is... that is. <laughs> so, okay, I, I'm old, right? So... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're interviewing me. Like, come on, man. What? Yeah, so when, when I was first training, I never, I'll never forget this. I was... Um, Grade, just starting grade nine, and I walked into this gym, and at that time, it was an all-men's gym. They had one lady who was allowed to work out there because she was a bodybuilding professional. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was male. So I'm signing up. I was probably 5'11 and 120 pounds, if I'm lucky, 115 pounds. Wow. Super skinny. I'm signing. I'm like all excited. Okay, I'm going to go work out. I'm pumped. And the way this office was set up is there was a door from the gym. Mm -hmm. The door opened into the, kind of the office that was the hallway to get out. Mm -hmm. So this door opens, almost knocks me over, right? Because it was a small area. And this guy walks through the room, who I later found out was Greg Kovacs, who's not around anymore, unfortunately. But at the time, he was the biggest bodybuilder ever. Wow. Right. So he was 400 and I forget, 420 or 430 pounds out of competition, yeah. went into competition over 300, was a monster. Yeah. You can look up online, Greg Kovacs, ridiculous. I saw him preacher curl single arm 150 pound dumbbells, which is insane. But um, so anyway, this <laughs> one arm on a preach bed. So, <sighs> so I, I, I didn't know he was the biggest bodybuilder ever. I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, I'm going to be him. Right, like I had any chance. I didn't know. I was not my my levels of yeah. correlation weren't yeah. there. <laughs> so, and we had no internet. Yeah. So I couldn't like Google who no, this guy was. No, we can't right? do any of that stuff, right? No. So my my sources of information at the time was Flex Magazine and Muscle and Fitness and all that kind of stuff. I didn't realize everyone in those magazines had just got a pump on and also probably was using extra vitamins. Yeah. Didn't know. Yeah. So I'm reading it and they're like, okay. Protocols for training, 22 sets of biceps. Oh, my goodness. So I'd go in there, and I'd spend an entire workout working these little <laughs> little muscles, right? Just go it away. And I got hurt all the time and barely grew. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then afterwards, Absolutely, unfortunately, yeah. way afterwards, yeah. when I started training and making sort of more solid decisions on how I trained, yeah. that's when I finally started growing, and my body adapted and didn't get hurt as much. But holy, we used to go in... I would do, I would hit 
buys every angle you could possibly think of for like four sets of everything and, and then do it again the next day like yeah maybe <laughs> just, we, back then especially it was like chest and buys right like gotta look good we didn't realize that people could still see you from the back you just can't see it yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah in fact that was a that was a um uh pavel did mention this in his course um there was a ballerina who in russia you know wanted to become a professional ballerina but they said her calves were too big Okay. Believe it or not. Okay. So she went to see, uh, I think it was Professor Rakitansky. And he said, okay, very simple. Just do a bunch of these exercises and you do them every day. And the calves would get really sore. And the buildup of lactic acid made the calves atrophy. Uh, she's and like, she actually, she's killing it pretty much. Yes. So if you don't recover, recovery is where all the juice is as you get older. Like I said, if you're younger... When you sleep, you have enough juice to fill you up again. Right. It's, a, it's no different than the battery in your computer, right? Mm -hmm. When you first use it, the battery charges and it stays charged forever. After three years, it doesn't hold the charge as much. Yeah. So you need to charge it more often and it's the human body is no different. As you get older, you need more time to charge it up. So you need to make sure you get sleep. You need to make sure you get enough nutrition and you got to pace the exercise so the badge of honors versus your ego versus your likelihood to really see performance have to be in balance you know yeah. at some point you got to say i can't go back to back days yeah. i'm not fully recovered and that's where things like measuring we talk about measuring right so things like hrv are great now because mm -hmm. it's a tangible way of saying hey you're not fully recovered still go work out but Tweak the exercise yeah. like this. You Fit know? the program to your body, not Correct. your body to the Correct. program. And like I said, HRV is one of the best ways that demonstrates to me that I'm not the same person every single day. That's awesome. So that is going to bring us to another awesome section that yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about. Yeah. We'll do it in a sec, but I want to talk about personalized medicine. Oh, perfect. Injuries, headaches, back problems. We all experience physical pain in our lives. And the majority of that pain is caused by one thing inflammation. At Luminos, we've created a safe, all-natural pain relief patch that directly targets pain instantly with no side effects. Just apply the Luminos patch directly to an area of pain. The relief can be felt in minutes and it will last all day. Go to Luminos.com right now and start living without pain today. Okay, Dr. R. So this brings us to potentially the most important section uh -huh. or topic we're going to talk about today. Are all the others would not? No, they're all great. Oh, man. But now we're, you know, for the person at home. Yeah. And in, in what they can do. So we're talking about personalized medicine, which is something that, in my opinion, you're one of the best that I've ever met, probably globally. Oh, thank you. No, you're amazing at it. Um, I've been fortunate to have many of the same clients as you have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been able to see how you work with those people. And, you, you know, you've kind of developed almost to a certain extent. Obviously, you do your emergency doctor work. Um, you have your sports practice that you that is super strong and probably too busy at. Yeah. Um, but you, you kind of, at the same time, you have that sort of old school, um, personalized family physician aspect yes. to it, right? Yes. Uh, when people come to see you, they're not put through um, like a factory type setting you know you're the, the car wash yeah like the you're medical look, car wash? exactly no. now you know you're looking at them as an individual and, and no. taking that into place so that is obviously how it should be 
um, current medical situations and, and same with uh, physio and chiro and everything really don't allow for that mm-hmm. um, unless you, you know, put yourself apart and, and go after it. But so from personalized medicine, personalized healthcare, personalized wellness and individual performance, mm. how do we get into that? When you buy something in Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. You do it twice. The third time you go to Amazon, it goes, hey, Craig. We saw that you bought these. You may like this. Right. Right? Yeah. And quite often, they're fairly accurate. And you're like, oh, yeah, actually, I do need that. Yeah. Or you <laughs> even even if you don't think, it, really? You think I like that? And then you'll go, yeah, I did like that, yeah. actually. I mean, if Amazon can do that with inanimate objects, yeah. why can't we do that with health? Okay? Takes personalized medicine is, you know, is a buzzword now. It's all, it's all a big thing, but... It's no different than the old school family physician. Mm-hmm. Okay, I remember in medical school, vividly. You know, I went to Liverpool Medical School, did all my clinicals, you know, all this kind of stuff. Then we had to do our GP rotation, general practice rotation, and I did six weeks in a, you know, urgent care kind of setting in one of those clinics. Then everyone was like ten minutes and bam, 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 bam. Then I spent six weeks with a GP in uh, rural Wales. Wales? Yeah. My, the motherland. Yeah, your, your bloodline, <laughs> yeah. And I remember vividly this guy. Can't imagine rural Wales he, because he, urban listen, Wales. Listen, <laughs> listen, he had a little he, a little house and his office was like, a, like, a, like part of a house kind of mm-hmm. thing. And he would have one or two patients come and see him, okay? The rest of the time, he would get in his Jeep and he'll do house calls. Mm. And he knew all the patients. And he knew the patient's kids and he gave birth to so-and-so. And, and it was very interesting, you know. And and like we would, I, I remember we drove one time and like halfway through, another car comes up. He pulls the window down. She pulls the window down. She's like, they just chatted. And she's like, oh, when you're done with your, you know, so-and-so's calls, come over for a cup of tea. And I was thinking, what is this guy doing? Like, how is he being a doctor like this? Because it was so new to me right it was always you know sterile boxes that we yeah, lived in. yeah so i did this for six weeks and at the end of it i i knew that that is art form of medicine that was no longer in existence like somehow they took that away and and i understand why they did it there's more people to see there's more pre- medicines to prescribe there's more tests to do. So there's more of everything, but there's only 24 hours in a day. Right, so yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. you got to limit, right? And and then you put into place, you know, logistics, insurance companies, blah, blah, blah. And everyone wants to say, okay, you know what? You want me to do this? I'm going to pay you this much for this much. And so that that's where it happened. What I decided to do was when I started working with athletes, I did not want to do that. And it's very important. So most of my athletes will tell you that I've been to their homes. Yeah. And I want to see them in that environment. I want to see how they interact with the kids. You know, what are the stresses that... Because all of that paints a picture to me before they hit a golf ball. Right. You know? And more and more work has come up. Like, you know, John Sarna is somebody who published, you know, uh, about back pain being a psychological phenomenon. Like, your pain will be worse if mentally things are not good at home. And mm-hmm. we have all felt that yeah. to some extent, you know. Um, 
And I always, I always joke about this. I said, you know, my phone never rings when they shoot 65. Yeah. It never stops when they shoot 85. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's not, that's not derogatory. That's just that, you know, when, when things go wrong, you feel things differently, mm -hmm. you know? So personalized medicine to me, I started doing it in a way that I said, okay, I want to, I don't want a cookie cut cutter method at this level of performance. If you are taking, you know, when you take, I, I hope Toyota is not listening. They're going to give me a hard time. But if you take a Toyota and you said, you know, take a Camry, I used to drive one. Yeah. And you say, make this car faster. I have a lot of options, mm -hmm. right? I can change the wheels. I can change the engine. I can change this. I can change that. And there's so many avenues. But if yeah. you gave me a Ferrari and said, make this car faster, there's not much you can do. Yeah. It's very difficult to squeeze out one more percent of a Ferrari because it's already that good. So when you work with professional athletes, I'm looking for how am I going to squeeze this one? You can't do that in a 15-minute consult. No. You cannot. You've got to really pay attention to all the small details. So if you anytime you ask me and you say, you know, What's going on in Justin's, Rose's family? I have a pulse on. I, mm -hmm. I have my finger on that pulse. Gary Woodland, I know what's going on with him. Mm -hmm. You know, Steve Stricker, I know what's going on with him. Like I'm, most of my players, Daniel Berger, you know, uh, Ollie Schneider, I, I'll be able to tell you, you know, they live like this. This is what they're doing. This is their travel schedule and stuff like that. So it gives me a holistic idea of who they are. So personalized medicine at its core starts like that. It's for the individual. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you take that and bring it to today's world, the beauty about that is there's a lot of things that we can measure. So I mentioned HRV. That's a very easy way to know, you know, how your body is reacting and are you fully recovered, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. But also, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example, very simple example that's in fad right now. Everyone's talking about the ketosis diet. I'm a big fan of ketosis. I do think that it's good for the brain. Uh, certainly, you know, in seizure disorders, it's been shown to be significantly better. I think patients with uh, mitochondrial dysfunction do very well on a ketosis diet. But not all ketosis diets are the same. Right. And not everybody can tolerate ketosis, mm -hmm. right? So the classical ketosis is no carbs or very little carbs, more protein and a lot of fats. And the fats that we all talk about now is saturated fats. But genetically, if you carry a certain SNP, a certain genetic sub-variant in how you handle cholesterol and you eat a ton of saturated fats, guess what's going to happen to your blood cholesterol? It's going to go up. Your blood viscosity is going to go up. A lot of times, have you ever done ketosis? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know when you, when you go from not being ketosis to ketosis, you don't feel, you don't feel great? No. Okay. Well, think about it. Traditionally, we only ever got there. When time. there was no food. There was no food, it was, right? It, was, it wasn't a choice. We didn't <laughs> yeah. wake up and go, you know, I think I'm going to do paleo or ketosis for yeah. six weeks. Like, that's not how it happened. No. You didn't have a choice. You were traveling from one, one village to another village, yeah. and there was no food. You ran out of food, and you just kept going until you got there. So ketosis, for instance. So if you, say, carry a gene that puts you at high risk of, you know, saturated fats causing high cholesterol, increasing blood viscosity then that ketosis you, you can't get with saturated fats. You should do that with monounsaturated fats, mm. right? Right. So that's a form of personalized medicine. Yeah. I've paid attention to you. Yeah. I haven't given you this global thing that says everybody take this. And, you know, 
that's the world we live in. So I, I'll give you an example. We have mutual players will say to me, you know, that Voltaren doesn't work on me. Yeah. I need Celebrex. And I have exactly the opposite. That Celebrex is a waste of time, dude. Voltaren every single time works on me. How come? Well, now you can study pharmacogenetics and say, oh, you know, this person does better with this drug. So that's the right. world we live in right now. So there's a lot of genetics that explained individual variation. Those tests are becoming cheaper. And now it's a question of we need to get enough data to know, okay, this test means this. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you take that and you still got to spend time with the individual and put that in context of their whole being. Right. That's how you create personalized medicine. Yeah, because each individual is a dynamic system that, you know, we, we look at performance. We talked about this briefly already, but performance in your sport, mm. it's very seldom that I, I see any of my athletes in any of the sports that I've worked in, their performance on the <laughs> ice or um, on the uh, golf course or wherever they are go down just because their skills aren't sharp. Um, obviously, there's ebbs and flows to every performance, but so often the decreased performance is a result of the environment away from the course. Yeah. Not allowing them to recover, not allowing them to be focused when they're practicing or playing, etc. And each person, depending on the environment that they're in, like you said, whether it's uh, stresses at home because they're living a very big life, mm -hmm. uh, lots of bills, lots of people to manage. Or building a new home. Building or, a new or, home is a huge one that we've sick, seen. Yeah. Sickness, all those kind of things, yeah. Or they're just not supplying their body with the nutrients and energy that it yep. needs. You know, there's Correct. so many factors to it. Correct. And you, you've done a great job of, like, as you kind of broke down and, and went through, of, of understanding the environment yes. that each of your athletes are in. And then from there, you can start to figure out why that environment has created the the issues that you're now dealing with. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, when you're going into your physio or chiro, your medical practitioner, whoever it is, very few of them have the opportunity to understand or put themselves in a situation as you do with your clients. And that's why it's important that the individual has to take control of their own health Correct. and not be just reliant Correct. on their medical doctor or whoever it is that they're dealing with because the reality is you are the person in charge of your health. Yeah. And just like we said, exercise is a supplement. Yeah. Seeing your chiro, seeing your physio, seeing your massage therapist, your medical doctor is a supplement to your own health that you should be in charge of. Correct. Right? Like think about back in the day, the moms yeah. were in essence the doctors, right? The grandmother. My grandmother still yeah. had such influence in a lot of stuff that we did. She was amazing. Yeah. And we've gotten to a point with you know, both parents working, you know, so many roles have changed that there's no one at home that's in charge as much as it used to be of the health of their family. Yeah. And we become more reliant on people who can only see us for very short periods of time. Or as you said, you know, looking up, oh, ketogenic diet's great. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Without understanding how is that going to affect you as a person based on the environment that you have in you, the epigenetics, the whatever it is. Yeah, I give another example. Bone broth. Yeah. And eating... Uh, probiotics, okay, it's fermented foods, right? Okay, everybody will tell you that, oh, yeah, you need to put fermented foods in your diet. Yes, you need to put bone broth in your diet. But if you're one of those individuals that carries a genetic abnormality where you cannot break down histamine correctly, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. so this global 5 a.m. club, you know, everybody eat, drink bone broth, everybody eats. Fermented food. Yeah, everyone has to do the same. It's like, amazing. It, 
doesn't make sense. Yeah. And 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 it's okay, you know. And you know, sometimes I I feel like this. You know, the advice I gave five years ago is flipped now. Mm-hmm. And part of me sometimes feel like, oh my god, I'm such a fraud. Like I was so wrong about this stuff. But I've come to accept, you know, like if you buy a buy a computer now, you can't wait until you buy the computer that is technology like up to date because yeah. two years from now that is going to be outdated absolutely so if i plow into a specialty right now like i said i learn something new every year mm-hmm. i am f- completely okay knowing that what i know right now is probably going to be inaccurate mm-hmm. two years three years from now yeah but right now i need to get into it because this is what we have yeah i can't just wait forever to say absolutely. oh the right time there is no right time because it's always going to get better and faster and improve. Well, the amount of information that's coming out is coming yeah. out exponentially. If you thought of the graph, you know, I forget what the, the exact numbers is, but it's something like 99 point something percent of the world's data has been accumulated over the last 10 years. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. Yeah, and then you add AI to that, you know, which is good, which is why, you know, I, I do think like mass collection of data, if you can analyze it to individuals, work. But again, you know, here's, here's the, the biggest take back for me. And, you know, certainly like as, as a physician in a hospital, we are always governed by population data. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you'll say, well, 99.7% of times, this won't make a difference. Yeah. Okay. But if I lined up a hundred, a thousand people and I say, tell me the three people that that's going to make a difference for, you can't tell me who they are. Yeah. So... To the individual, the population data doesn't apply. Absolutely. That's why personalized medicine at that level, at any level really, has to come into place. And that takes time though. Personalized medicine takes a lot of time. Well, and people just don't listen to their own bodies, right? Well, as we said, we're so busy. Things happen quick. We're not patient. Yeah. Silence is gone. We don't have moments of silence. There's always noise and background. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's almost like... Is everything okay? Why well, you didn't say anything? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what happens, you know, we talk about fermented foods and whatever. So, you know, kombucha. Mm. I went on this kombucha kick for a while. And I, and all of a sudden, I realized that I feel terrible. Right? Good man. See, yeah. this is perfect. That is a form of personalized medicine. Yeah, but it took me a while to get there. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, but some people don't listen. And they're like, exactly. I don't know. And so for me, I, and I should have known this, I'm not that far from understanding this kind of stuff tea doesn't work good for me mm-hmm. in my but in my head i completely had missed the whole fact that i'm drinking tea with my kombucha as well right <laughs> <laughs> just the complete mental because i don't drink tea very often yeah and remember we did some food sensitivities and stuff tea came back as one of my red flags but yeah. because i don't drink it i never thought about it and then i started drinking kombucha and i was like oh my gut feels terrible yeah and then I've had brain fog. See, it's interesting, right? Yeah. Here's a so-called probiotic that is supposed to be good and yeah. commercially available in every good health food store that yeah. everyone says you should drink, and you didn't feel good on it. Felt terrible. But I see, you paid attention it. to it. Yes, but I, you know, this is why I think, you know, when we're talking about personalized medicine, one of the things that I make sure I do as much as possible is I have moments of silence. Yes. So, you know, whether you call it meditation, whether you call it breathing, whether you call it um, mindfulness, what, it doesn't matter. I do my movement sessions out by the lake in the backyard. That's my meditative time, right? Mm-hmm. 
that's when most of my thoughts come in. Mm -hmm. Even though people say, oh, you're supposed to be thoughtless. Mm -hmm. Well, that's when my greatest thoughts come in because I don't have other thoughts breaking them up. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I don't feel good. Why don't I feel good? And I started breaking it down. I'm like, holy, ever since I started drinking this kombucha, I feel terrible. Stop drinking kombucha. Let's see what happens. Felt great. Yeah. So for me, that was key. And I think that's why people need to slow down, start feeling their body. Some people have never even sensed their heart rate their heart beating because they're not in a place where it's quiet enough or just oh, been just aware be, of it. Yeah, just be, Which is be crazy because back in the day, everyone would have known when their heart rate was getting out of out of Sing, whack and yeah. breathing and everything else. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, that that intuition is dampened with a lot of the external noise. Yes. You know, so a, a, even more fundamental in terms of personalized medicine, your body will pretty much tell you what you need to know. Yeah. I mean, animals don't get the genes done. Yeah. Animals don't get blood tests done. They they know what to eat and what not to eat, and yeah. they know when to avoid something. Why is that? Their animal instincts and their senses are still very very strong. They're not yeah. distracted. That that's why general principles apply for general population, not necessarily for the individual. Yeah. You should try it. And the other the other thing I will tell you what I notice. You know, this whole year has been a genetic kick for me, so I've been studying a lot of genetics. And what I notice is, you know, someone will get the genes done, and it's, it's, they get the genetics done, they go, I have an abnormality, and there's a snip in this. Okay, so I need more folate. So I'm going to take a bunch of methylfolate. Like, that's not, yeah. it's not that simple. You know, you got to be able to say, okay, you know what, I have this. Do I actually have any of the, the symptoms? Just because I have found this mm-hmm. doesn't mean... I need to do anything about it, you know? Yeah. A lot of that requires time and requires a lot of self-reflection. Amazing. Well, I've been very excited to have this conversation. I I can't wait to have you back. Oh, likewise, bud. But we're going to take a a break, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk to you about the deep 10. So that's 10 questions that I ask every guest. Oh, I Um, thought that's like deep tissue. (laughs) Well, we can do that later, too. (laughs) Um, But we'll come back in a minute and go through that. All right, done. Injuries, headaches back problems. We all experience physical pain in our lives, and the majority of that pain is caused by one thing, inflammation. At Luminos, we've created a safe, all-natural pain relief patch that directly targets pain instantly with no side effects. Just apply the Luminos patch directly to an area of pain. The relief can be felt in minutes, and it will last all day. Go to Luminos.com right now and start living without pain today. Okay, Dr. Ara. Wow, this is a deep tissue time? We are back. Deep tissue time. So we got the deep 10. like it. Okay. So, question number one. Uh-huh. What are two constant, consistent rituals you have in the mornings that you find help to get your day started in a positive way? So what do you do wow. most days okay. yeah. that is part of your normal routine that you think has benefits just to how your day is going to be? Um, so I always have, I start my day with a cup of coffee. Yeah. Okay. And uh, most days, because I try not to work uh, in the mornings, like official work in the mornings. So I'll make a cup of coffee, put the kettle on, blah, blah. And then uh, after I make the coffee, I go back to bed and I sit in the bed and I drink the coffee really slowly. Mm-hmm. And I just think about stuff. Yeah. There's no agenda. Just free flow of thought. Just, just, just stuff. I don't know what I think about, mm-hmm. but when I'm done, before I get out of bed again, it probably takes about half an hour, mm-hmm. but before I get out of bed again, 
I would have laid out what I want to do for the day. Yeah. So I'll know, okay, I need to call in these prescriptions. I need to call, follow up on this person. I need to check on this. I got this person to see. I want to get a workout in at that time. I want to hit tennis balls at this time. You know, I want to call these people. Oh, I need to make like, all that kind of stuff. But I only do it in the morning once at my own pace. I don't like to start the day in a rush. Yeah. Uh, so that really is my ritual, really. I don't, don't have any other ritual. So what kind of coffee are you drinking? Not to say a brand. Yeah. Unless you want to name a brand, but... Is it just a black coffee? Is it what kind of what do you put in your coffee, if so, anything? So what I do is I make uh, most of the time I use a French press. Yeah. Uh, ground coffee. Uh, right now the one I have is from uh, Adina Singh, who's Vijay Singh's uh, ex-wife. She gave me Kona coffee. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. One of those, and then I put in two things in my coffee. One is uh, Bulletproof, do this uh, raw cocoa butter. Yeah. So I put that in, in the coffee. And I don't blend it. I just let it dissolve slowly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, Lad Hamilton does a uh, creamer. Yeah. So I put a little bit of that creamer in there. And Perfect. That's, that's my coffee. I don't blend it. I don't whisk it or anything like that. I just let the, I like to see the, the iceberg kind of melt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. So how many of those days, because you talked about how you plan pretty much your whole day out, when you're going to train, mm. are you normally someone who does um, your exercising in the morning, midday, or in the evening? If I don't have hospital work, I get two workouts in, okay? So my morning workout is often light. Mm-hmm. It's usually an aerobic base, but very, very light, mm-hmm. you know, usually a lot of stretching. Uh, a lot of getting joints into the right positions kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, getting Pilates when I have a reformer at home. So I'll get on there. And then if I'm getting on the reformer, I'll often do a little bit of bounding. Yeah. Uh, but I also use a lot of the pulleys to stretch my, my legs. It's more of just to get the body just going. Just get going, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I don't do anything more than that. Um, and then usually in my second workout will be uh, a hit with tennis mm-hmm. probably for about an hour an hour 15 and then i'll do some form of either plyometrics or strength work uh most days okay so that's usually that if i don't have i'm working in the hospital and i have to do one then i'll give up on the slow aerobic stuff and actually play tennis perfect yeah okay so <clears throat> this is a different question but it kind of piggybacks what you just mentioned so we talked about it. The question is, what type of training or fitness do you do, and why mm. are those your choices? So we talked about what you do. Mm. You mentioned for um, your morning routine, whether it's in the Pilates Reformer or just some, some basic cardio, it's just to get yourself moving and feeling good and, mm-hmm. and doing all that. Um, from a tennis or from your strength programs, for you, why are you playing tennis? You know, that I... Before I got back into tennis, I realized one day, I was like, I just go to the gym and I run and live. And I was like, I got bored of it. You yeah. know, there was no purpose to it at all. So tennis is very cerebral for me. Yeah. And it also, it's a skill. So it engages different parts of what I need to do, you know. So it's, it's, it's the ability to hit a serve in a ver- very specific target. Or it's ability to hit to a big target on a, on a forehand, but also being technically correct. Because right. you can always improve your technique on every stroke, mm-hmm. okay? And then to add to that, you can make it harder. So now you add some aerobic work to that, and you're out of breath, 
and you still got to hit the ball correctly technically. So it becomes yeah. a, it becomes like a, this big chess game that I yeah, like to yeah. play. So at the end of an hour of tennis, I'm mentally really stimulated. Yeah, so you've gotten the brain work, which a lot of times in the gym you don't. Yeah, that's what I, was, I found right. it very lacking. And also, it gives me a purpose. You know, if I'm doing lunges, I know I'm doing lunges so that I could last, you know, maybe that ball that went wide that I missed, I might get it back this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gives me a more of a purpose as to what I'm doing it. Right. Doing it for. Yeah, yeah. makes complete sense. Um, okay, perfect. How many hours of sleep do you normally get? Uh, and what time do you go to bed, get up, and when do you find you are the most productive? Uh, probably get about seven hours minimum, uh, eight hours maximum, really. Yeah. Uh, I don't wake up to an alarm clock unless on the very rare occasions I've got a uh, 6 a.m. shift. Right. In which case I have to get up at 5.30, which is so unusual for me. Yeah. Uh, but usually... I, I'm in bed by 11.30, 12 at the most. Yeah. And then most of the time I'm up by, I, I don't, like I said, I don't wake up to an alarm clock. I'm up just after 7, like 7.05, 7.10. Like it's crazy. It's yeah. always the same. It's just when it happens. Yeah, just when I just wake up on my own. Yeah. So seven hours, I would say. Um, and what was the other part of the question? And then, so based on that, so uh, kind of what we talked off camera with G is, you know, when are you the most, for you specifically, when are you the most productive? Oh, okay. So for me, it's really interesting. I am the most productive for me is when I'm most creative, right? Because yep. all the other stuff to me is busy work. Yeah. You know, returning emails, blah, blah, blah. It all got to be done, you know, sending invoices. It got to be done, but I don't like doing any other stuff. The stuff that, you know, if, if it's like the nectar, like that's gold to me Yeah. yeah. is unusually between around 9.30 at night and 11.30 at night. So right before bed. Yeah, I, I am like really good. Like I could read something and what, how I interpret and decipher that material is very different at that time of the day than if I did it at say 2 p.m. Mm. You know, uh, I also found like so I'm doing courses now and sometimes when I do a course and I've got to do the, 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 the quizzes to, to get through the next module, yeah. you know, Man, I am like I'll whiz through them at like nine and eleven at night, right. so fast. But also, I can read something, and then look at it in a completely different light. During that time of the day, some of my best ideas, my best segments, my best lectures have all come from work That's done up. late at night. Yeah, and then, but when I'm done, boom, You're ready out. to go to bed. That's amazing. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So, uh, number three, do you practice meditation, breathing, or other similar mindful rituals? And if so, how often and where? I, I don't do the traditional meditation. Like I've tried that. It, uh, I just, I don't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so my idea of meditation is to let my mind wander mm -hmm. and let things come in and go up just as, and so what. that's kind of like your morning yes. coffee routine. Yeah. Bed. So I just, I don't have a plan. I don't try to work on my breathing or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's my meditation, if you like. For breathing, when I'm on the Pilates reformer, I'm really good at controlling my, my breath. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly when I'm doing yoga, I'm really controlling my breath. And then recently, when I, I, I've, I'm, I'm training for this endurance event uh, in May next year. And one of the things I learned um, from some of the coaches in Oregon was that in order to become a better runner, long distance endurance runner, it's not so much your breathing to put oxygen in the body. It's more to see how well you tolerate CO2, mm -hmm. which is very, yeah. it's counterintuitive to me. 
Yeah. So there's an app called uh, apnea training, which is usually used by divers. So whenever I'm free, I go on that app. And mm-hmm. it forces me to hold my breath and then get used to CO2 building up without freaking out. Yeah, yeah. My, my, I, I couldn't hold my breath at all. Now, right now I can hold my breath, hold my breath, breathe out underwater for like a minute 12. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, three months ago, I could barely do 40 seconds. Yeah, I, I went through uh, Wim Hof's program. Yeah. And when I first, so this, underwater is different because you have pressure yes. gradients. So I can't hold my breath nearly as long underwater as I can uh, just like when I'm chilling in bed. Yeah. Plus, maybe there's a fear factor of drowning. I don't know, like yeah. internal one. Well, I go in the shallow pool. So Yeah. <laughs> but when I first started, it was just over a minute. I was stressing out. Yeah. Like minute it's horrible. Yeah. It's a horrible feeling. I don't know how long I was into it. Maybe four weeks, three weeks. I was over four and a half minutes. And the only difference, like you're saying, is your tolerance to CO2. CO2. And, you can and, hold your breath for four and a half minutes? Now? Yeah. Wow. But I, I, I did it every day. No, it's yeah, pretty good it. though. But but that's what it is. It's a tolerance for CO two. So, you know, a lot of times when 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 you if you run, and you stop and you're like hyperventilating, yeah. if you hold your breath there, you feel like you're gonna die. Oh yeah, it's terrible. It's horrible. horrible. Yeah, it's terrible but you feeling. can get used to it. Yeah. You know, very quickly. So I'm gonna try that's, that. That's the only. Yeah, no, don't don't do that. <laughs> Just pass out. Boom. Um, head so trauma. that's the only uh, <laughs> breathing stuff that I do really. Awesome. What is your number one health hack that you use? Sleep. Sleep is... Just consistent, time of day. So I, I do everything in my power to make sure I sleep as soundly as possible. So the room is 67 degrees. It's pitch black. There's no electronic devices anywhere. Mm-hmm. If I come back from travel, then I'll sleep on a grounding mat on the bed. And that's... Mm-hmm. that's plugged into through a, through a clean source. Yeah. And I generally stop eating by about 8.30 at night. Uh, so three hours before, you know, I don't really eat. Yeah. And that is, uh, we call it a hack, but that's basically you know what, what I do. That's uh, exactly. I actually like that example because it's something that everybody can pay attention to. Yeah. Right. Pitch black, cold room, you are a hibernating bear. Awesome. Think of it that way. That's, to me, that has been single-handedly the best thing I've done for my own health in the last three years. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, what is something you do that you don't think is caught on yet with the general population that you think will be very common in the future? Like like a practice? Like a personal practice? It could be a personal practice. It could be a supplement. It could be, oh, it could be any one of type those of things? food. Anything. Yeah. Okay. I think getting your genetics done and then paying attention to how it affects you it's going to become uh, I think it'll be commercialized so it'll become another one of those you know five minute ab workout things yeah yeah but certainly that that is coming for sure and then the other thing I think it's catching a lot of traction is grounding yeah you know one of the things that I do religiously is you know, when I told you, like, in the mornings when I just do a gentle thing, mm-hmm. it's barefooted on natural yeah. terrain. So even if I'm, like, the place I found it the hardest to do was Hong Kong. Right. Uh, but I went to the park and took my shoes off and just walked. Yeah. See, I think for me, that's that's been probably, like, the biggest thing. And, you know, myself and Marnus and Mark Wall and a few other guys out on tour, obviously, we try to make a very conscious effort of spending as much time barefoot as possible. Yeah. And... 
you know. But it has I, to be on natural terrain. Absolutely, that's the problem. There's chemicals in all the grasses Correct. and. Correct. So it has to be as much as possible in natural terrain. Yeah. Somehow they'll commercialize it, I'm yeah. sure. But this practice has been around for thousands of years. Well, it's every single species on the planet right. is connected Grounding. at all times to nature. To the ground. And so, like, with, same with me and Marnus and them. I talked to Marnus last week. I said, how many times? You know, we are the people who make a conscious effort to go out and do this. And we were busy last week at the playoff event on tour. Mm -hmm. I said, how many times have you touched anything that's alive this week? And he's like, man, none, right? Because of the way the schedules were, the rain delays. And we're people who consciously try to do that. And when I'm on my off days, I spend all my time outside. But there are some people who legitimately in a year, in 10 years, and some people in a lifetime have never connected to nature, ever, Meaning what, like walking barefooted or touching? So yeah, because or... you could be outside. Yeah. But you got rubber soles on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah. you're not you're yeah. not connected. Yeah. People don't want their kids touching dirt anymore for some crazy reason. All these things, like people literally are not connected. The food they're eating, eating, are genetically modified and sprayed. Yeah. So you're not getting like you're just not touching trees. You're not. Right. And so, we're wondering why we have all these autoimmune diseases. There's so many factors, but one of them is literally we are no longer connected. connected. Think about it. When you get a plant. You bring a plant in your house, it is way harder to have a plant grow in a pot in your house mm -hmm. than it is the okay. exact same just growing on that in ground. your yard. Yeah. Because it's not connected to nature anymore. Yeah. It's incredible. Okay, yeah. so I love that one. Yeah. Um, what are the top three things that you think people should focus on to let them be their best self? Self acceptance. Mm hmm You know, just know like you are human. You are never gonna you are never meant to be perfect. Yeah. You know. And I learned this a long time ago, um, Anthony Robbins, again, like him or love him or yeah. whatever you think of him. He, he made, you know, he says, perfection is not a goal. Excellence is. Right. You know, and I've always stuck to that. Like there are times when I'm doing something and I'm like, am I trying to be perfect here? Am I trying to hit the perfect forehand or am I trying to win the point? Yeah. What am I trying to do? You know, excellent, achieving excellence allows you to be human. Which, uh, which means you are going to make mistakes, mm -hmm. which means you are going to have habits, you're going to change, you're going to, you're going to give something up, and then you're going to have bad days and go back to it. Like, you know, you're going to say, I'm not going to have any sugar, and then three months later, go on a sugar binge, and, you go, and you're going to feel bad about it. Like, that's part and parcel of being human. So self-acceptance, I think, is, and self-forgiveness when you mess up, yeah. is very, very important. Secondly, I think... There's a saying, uh, I think Mandela said this. Hatred is like drinking the poison oh, and yeah, expecting yeah. your enemy to die. Right. Okay. So letting go of, you know, having someone that you hate and having that kind of energy and toxicity is only hurting you. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way of cutting that off. So even if it comes to family, even yeah. if it comes to family, love your family. But sometimes you have to love them from a distance. Right. So removing the negative energy that surrounds you mm -hmm. in your life, whether it's work, whether it's friends, whether it's uh, things, yeah. you know, is very, 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 very important. Yeah, there's a lot to free negative frequencies, right? Correct. Totally. Yeah. And then the final thing I would say is work done by a lady by the name of Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo, Japanese lady who... Uh, wrote an amazing book. I think it's called The Life-Changing Art of Decluttering. Oh, yes. Andrew has that book. Okay. Yes. So I read that book three years ago. 
Yeah. Okay. And you know how I talked about, you know, your bedroom being blah, blah, and that kind of stuff. And I was like, really? I mean, is this going to make that much? So I went there and her philosophy, if I were to sum it up, is very simple. If you don't love this, it has no place in your house. Right. Okay. Which you, when you first think about it, you can, I, I did the same. I was like, no, nah, that makes no sense. You know that I need pots and plates. Like I need some stuff. Yeah. I need utensils. Like my mom was the same. Like that doesn't make any sense. But as I went through my stuff, it is so crazy how powerful that is. Mm-hmm. So when you declutter, you remove a lot of noise around you. Yeah. So like, especially in your bedroom, if there's less clutter, and it doesn't mean, clutter mean, doesn't mean it's all lying around visibly, right? Yeah, yeah. But let's say you have a chest of drawers. And in that chest of drawers, a bunch of clothes that you haven't seen in six months and blah, blah, blah. That's still clutter. Yeah. So I think decluttering your life by only making sure the things that are in there are exactly what you want. Even if it's a utensil. You know what? Go find a utensil. Find one spoon. Mm-hmm. One wooden utensil. And say... This thing is beautiful. You don't need 15 knives. You're yeah. not a professional chef. Have one knife, but love the knife. Yeah. And I'm telling you, you have less clutter. You have less decision-making fatigue. That's the biggest thing, I think. Okay? Yeah. And you'll find that you'll have so much more mental clarity and energy for life. It. It's crazy. So if you haven't got that book, go check that book out. It's It's... She's a very interesting lady, yep. but the philosophy behind that, you know, yeah, you can learn to fold your clothes in a particular way. But what I found from there was, and it, Craig was amazing. When I did this, I went through and I was like, oh my God. So I have a box that has, you know, I worked on the European Ryder Cup team for mm-hmm. many years. Uh, then I worked in the last two uh, American Ryder Cup teams, President's Cup. So I have all this clothing. Right. Okay. That... You know, it's kind of crazy when you first start, you collect them all because you like it's cool. But yeah. then you realize you can't really wear that anyway. Yeah. You look like an idiot wearing it. You know, it says yeah. Team USA and like, you know, <laughs> where are you going to wear that? Yeah. You know? Uh, and so I had boxes of this stuff. And they, you know, as you can imagine, they're all nice stuff, you yeah. know, cashmere, really good, you know, woolen stuff. And yeah, it's like my stuff in the corner over there. Yeah. Yeah. See, like stuff like that. <laughs> so I read the book and I was like, oh my God. And I took the whole box and I went to Lake Nona Golf and Country Club and a couple of guys who work in the gym who are the maintenance guys and I just gave them the box. Right. And you know what the crazy thing was? About three weeks later, I'm in Lake Nona Golf Country Club. I'm going to the clubhouse for something. And this guy kind of says, doctor, doctor. And I was like, and I see him. He's one of the, one of the, one of the maintenance guys. And I don't know this guy. Yeah. You know, I'm like, me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he go. Thank you so much for shirt. For the shirt. And I was like, what shirt? He go, you know, the golf shirt. Thank you so much. So I was like, okay. And I was like, I think he's mistaking me for someone else. <laughs> and then later on, I go, I was in the, in the tennis club and I was talking to one of the guys I gave the box to. And he had dished out. He took what he wanted, they gave it to a bunch of other people and they all shared yeah, all yeah. the clothes. And it brought so much joy to them. Amazing. And... That was the point. It was never meant to sit in a box. Uh, yes. It's not meant to sit in a box. So if it's sitting in the box and I haven't seen it, and that potentially could bring so much joy to someone else, why am I cluttering this? Yeah. And so after that experience, I went completely the other way. 
and so i got rid of probably 75% of my clothes i was shocked at how many pairs of shoes i had right and which I'm, i never I'm wore guilty. and why they keep sending me more and more shoes mm -hmm. i i mean it is a good problem to have yeah. but now i found ways to utilize those shoes i'd send send them to me but yeah. i don't need them but i know a lot of people who do yeah. so i've uh, i got a lot of stuff so long answer that's it so John Lestraco, who's my brother-in-law, I hope you're listening to this. Take the Jordans out of the box and put them on your feet. Okay. Yes. Okay, we got three more questions. All right. Okay. Uh, what are one or two books, documentaries, or movies you would recommend and why? So obviously you just gave us one of the books. Yeah, that's a that's a good book. Um, or do you want to do a different one? You can. You do know what? One. There's a book that I read every year. Every year I read this book. A buddy of mine in Silicon Valley, he reads it with me. And we always make sure we hold our accountable. We'd never finished the year without reading this book. And it's called How to Be Rich by John Paul Getty. And it's a really, really good book to understand just everything from how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest in money, how to look at money, to philanthropy. And you understand why people do, why successful people who are financially well off, you know, why they do certain things and what, what right. it's a very, very interesting book. Yeah. Um, two books you said Marie Kondo's, Kondo's book's pretty good but it's not for everybody uh, I think if it was picking a universal book I, the book by uh, Brene Brown Daring Greatly okay unbelievable book perfect if you open your mind to it and you accept that being vulnerable is one of the most courageous things you could humanly do that book is great awesome Awesome. And she's, she's got a course. Check out her course. I did a course too. Really good. Say, say the name again. Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. Perfect. Okay. Uh, second last question. Mm. What types of vacations do you prefer to take? So like beach relaxation, adventure, cities, national parks. What, do you, what are you into oh. right now? Uh, because of the woman in my life, it's a lot of outdoor stuff. Mm-hmm. So I never knew I liked road trips until I started going on road trips with her. <laughs> and uh, it's actually a lot of fun sitting in a car and talking about life and turning the phone off and being in places where there's no Wi-Fi. It's actually yeah. quite good. Amazing. And then we go to a lot of national parks. Uh, I do like the beach, but I'm not somebody who needs to sit and lay on the beach yeah. for hours on end. Like I've never done that. I like to go walk on the beach. Yeah. I don't even like getting in the sea. I like the sound of the ocean, that kind of stuff. The, the vacations I like most is when I go to a place that I know, like, the language is difficult, never had the food, and I got to learn everything from scratch. Yeah. So, like, if I went to, say, Peru, or if I went to, you know, uh, Lithuania, yeah. you know, I'll have to go there and figure it out. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I really like that because it, it really tells, like... It's amazing how we can communicate so well without knowing the language. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy to me. Amazing. And, and it's amazing how people are genuinely nice. Like, I maybe it's just blessed, but I've never been mugged or robbed or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I would get lost and ask people for directions. And it's amazing how many people have gone out of their way to help me. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I really, like, it emphasizes that humanity is intrinsically good. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. Okay. What animal would you choose to come back as in another lifetime and oh why? Oh, my God. <laughs> animal. Horse. Horse. Yeah. Got to put the why to it. Uh, the horse always reminds me of 
I don't know. It just reminds me of freedom. Yeah. It does its own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, a horse does its own thing. It's extremely powerful. So it can go really fast, really quick. But it can also go for days and yeah. days and days and days and days and days. And it's a very simple animal, really. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I lo- this summer I spent, I spent, uh, as a gift to her, I took her to a horse farm, uh, a thoroughbred farm in the uh, middle of nowhere in England, near the Cotswold. And just being around those animals was like nothing else I've ever yeah. felt. It was just the crazy, not different to a dog, different to cats, different to all the other stuff, you know. I don't know. I just feel very at ease with horses. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. There you go. Well, Dr. Sapaya, thank you so much for being oh here. Oh, my God. I Mr. loved Davis, it. Thank I had you a great so much chat. for having me, sir. Yes. This ends another episode of Achieve Depth Radio.